Hello and welcome to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. Join me as I go delving through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Listen to tales of dastardly pirates and amazing innovators, catastrophic accidents and devious crimes. This podcast has it all. And this episode is no exception. So get ready to give your ears a treat and maybe learn a few things on the way. As I don't believe in sanitising the facts of history, these episodes may contain information that some people find disturbing. This show is all about a woman who changed the face of British theatre and even became known as tragedy personified. I'm talking about Sarah Siddons, who was born in 1755. But what else happened that year? Well, on May the 24th, France completes the construction of Fort Duquesne, its new base in the west of the British colony of Pennsylvania. The British capture the fort during the French and Indian War and rename it Fort Pitt. The site at the junction of the Allegheny River and the Monongalia River is now Pittsburgh. June the 5th saw Scottish chemist Joseph Black describe his discovery of carbon dioxide or fixed air and magnesium in a paper to the Medical Society of Edinburgh. The paper is published in 1756 with the title Experiments upon a Magnesia Alba Quicklime and Some Other Alkaline Substances. And this one isn't very nice, because on September the 18th, two slaves, Mark and Phyllis, are publicly executed for the poisoning murder of their master, John Codman, in front of a large crowd outside the Middlesex County Courthouse in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Phyllis is burned to death. Mark's execution by hanging is made as an example to other African slaves in the province of Massachusetts Bay. His body is transported to Charlestown Common in what is now Somerville and displayed on a gibbet for more than 20 years. In 1798, Paul Revere mentions in his memoir that his famous ride of April the 18th, 1775, started when he first spotted British Army officers at a site nearly opposite where Mark was hung in chains. I saw two men on horseback under a tree. On the 20th of November, William Pitt the Elder is dismissed from his position of paymaster of the forces, while Henry Bilson Legg resigns as Chancellor of the Exchequer and George Grenville as Treasurer of the Navy in protest over payments made to Russia to protect Hanover. But we're talking about little Sarah Siddons, who was born Sarah Kemble in Brecon at the shoulder of Mutton Inn, Breconshire, Wales, in July the 5th, 1755, the eldest daughter of Roger Kemble, a Roman Catholic, and Sarah Sally Ward, a Protestant. Word of the Week 
And this week, my friends, I give you the word... Impignorate, which means to pledge, pawn or mortgage. Something I might have to consider due to the rising cost of living. The building Sarah was born in dates from the early 18th century. It was known as the Shoulder of Mutton in 1755 when Sarah Campbell was born there, but today the pub is named the Sarah Sidons Inn. Sarah was the eldest of 11 children of Roger Campbell and Sarah Ward, roving actors who had arrived in Brecon to take part in a play shortly before Sarah's birth. Their company continued to perform on both sides of the border, and young Sarah took child parts. An actor named William Sidons joined their company and later asked if he could marry Sarah. Her parents were not happy, which prompted Sarah to come up with a rhyming appeal to the audience from the stage in Brecon. He was sacked from the company and returned to his native West Midlands. Sarah was sent to work as a maid for Mrs Greathead of Guy's Cliff near Warwick. And in November 1773, the 18-year-old Sarah finally gained her parents' blessing and married William in Coventry. They would eventually go on to have seven children, five of whom she outlived. Siddons regularly performed on stage while visibly pregnant, which often elicited sympathy for her character. As Lady Macbeth, her pregnancy not only provided a further reminder of the domestic life of both the actress and the character, adding a maternal aspect to her portrayal, which also created a new level of tension in the play, not present if the couple is perceived as barren. Although she was travelling with a small troupe, it was not long before Sarah got the recognition that she deserved. Her success was enough to catch the attention of David Garrick, then nearing the end of his career. He brought her to London in 1775, and fortunately, when she made her first appearance at Drury Lane as Portia in The Merchant of Venice, Sarah was a flop. In fact, one critic wrote, She is certainly very pretty, but then how awkward. And what a shocking dresser. She looked delicate, fragile and beautiful, but her costume was ugly and faded. Nervousness overcame her and her movements were awkward, her voice weak. She had failed. Garrick gave her another chance in another production, Richard III, but she was still too paralysed with fear to scrape together a half-decent performance. In the love scene, she had her back to the audience, something Garrick had kept telling her not to do. Now, it was seven years after that disastrous performance that, on the 20th of October, 1782, Sarah was asked to perform at Drury Lane again. Garrick had passed away, but Sarah never really forgot how awful that previous experience had been. I'm lucky enough to have found her recollections of that moment, so here's what she said in her own words. 
The awful consciousness that one is the sole object of attention to the immense space lined, as it were, with human intellects from top to bottom and all around. It may be imagined, but can never be described, and by me can never be forgotten. The play selected for her return to London was Southern's tragedy, Isabella or the Fatal Marriage. Here's what the Dundee Evening Telegraph had to say about the performance. Not long was actress or audience left in doubt. The sweetness of her tones, her heart-rending grief, her awful agony, spellbound every spectator. Men were dissolved in tears, women fainted or were carried out in hysterics. During the last act, sobs and cries resounded through the house, and when the curtain fell, it was amidst such transport of applause as had scarcely ever been heard within those walls. When I reached my own fireside from that scene of reiterated shouts and plaudits, I was half dead, and my joy and thankfulness were of too solemn and overpowering a nature to admit of words or even tears. (laughs) Word on the street. Now here's an interesting one. Tyndale Avenue in BS16 was named after William Tyndale, translator of the Bible, who was thought to have been born in Slimbridge, Gloucestershire. In 1524 he visited Martin Luther in Wittenberg and began printing his translation of the New Testament in English in Cologne. Before he could finish work on his Old Testament in Antwerp, he was accused of heresy by the Catholic authorities and was burnt at the stake for it in Vilvoord, now in Belgium, in 1536. In the 1780s, Sarah became Britain's most prominent actress, noted especially for her Lady Macbeth in Shakespeare's play Macbeth. In 1785, she gave private readings for the King and Queen at Windsor Castle and Buckingham House. It was said that Sarah was a very hard-working actress who carefully studied every character she portrayed. It wouldn't be unheard of for her to really get into the heart of her character and genuinely cry on stage, as such characters as Otway's Belvedere or Southern's Isabella. ...access and passage to remorse that no compunctious visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts and take milk for gall, you murdering ministers, wherever in your sightless substances you wait on nature's mischief. Come, thick night, and pile thee in the dunnest smoke of hell, that my keen knife see not the wound it makes, nor heaven peep through the blanket of the dark, to cry, hold, hold! As she grew older, she lessened her workload, but she would appear once or twice for the benefit of her brother, Charles Kendall. And on June the 22nd, 1813, she appeared as Lady Randolph for the Drury Lane Theatrical Fund. 
1816 request by Princess Charlotte of Wales to see Lady Macbeth brought Siddons out of retirement. Much older, Siddons was visibly weak, overweight, and considered by some a grotesque effigy of her former self. William Hazlitt, in his later account, stated that her performance lacked the grandeur they had shown in 1785. The machinery of her voice is slow, he said. There is too long a pause between each sentence, and the sleeping scene was more laboured and less natural. Her last appearance was on June 9th, 1819, as Lady Randolph, in John Holmes' play, Douglas. that the greatest chicken killer in Shakespeare is actually Macbeth, because he did murder most foul. Sarah died 9.30am on the 8th of June, 1831, at 27 Upper Baker Street, Portman Square, London, Age 76. The next day, another actress, Fanny Kemble, played the role of Lady Macbeth at Covent Garden. But critics said, The Lady Macbeth will never be the same again. Sarah was buried in the Paddington churchyard, the north portion, and is enclosed by iron railings. Her son George and his wife Mary are buried nearby. The churchyard was converted into a public park, St Mary's Gardens, in 1881, and most stones were cleared at that time. Sarah's gravestone was one of the few to be preserved, and it remains in good condition beneath a wrought iron canopy, despite some erosion and the modern addition of a protective cage. Close to where she lived in nearby Paddington Green, a statue of Sarah was erected in 1897, carved out of a solid block of Carrera marble. She's poised in a Greek chair, holding a dagger as her most famous character, Lady Macbeth. There's also a statue of Siddons by sculptor Thomas Campbell, standing in the chapel of St Andrew in Westminster Abbey. The statue holds a scroll and the inscription reads... Saracens, born at Brecon, July 5th, 1755, died in London, June 8th, 1831. There are loads more memorials to Sarah, including Siddons Lane, a small street in Marylebone, near the site of the house in which she once lived. Siddons' birthplace, an inn in Brecon Wells, is now known as the Sarah Siddons Inn, but in 1755, when Seddons was born in lodgings on the upper floor, it was a tavern called the Shoulder of Mutton. In 1923, London's Metropolitan Railway brought into service an electric locomotive called Sarah Siddons No. 12. The locomotive remained in service along with others like it on the London Underground Metropolitan Line until 1961. 
painted a maroon colour, she is now the only one of the original 20 locomotives to remain preserved in working order. In 1961, the Sarah Siddons Comprehensive School, later the Sarah Siddons Girls' School, opened in North Wharf Road, blah, 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 opened in North Wharf Road, Paddington. It was officially opened the following year by the actress Dame Peggy Ashcroft. And in this girls-only school, women's achievements are celebrated, with houses named after famous English women. In 1980, it became part of the North Westminster Community School. Then, in 2006, it was closed before the site was sold for residential development. In 2019, a Remember Sarah Siddons Comprehensive School Facebook group with more than 540 members started. Had more than 540 members. Also, there's a Sarah Siddons Society, an American non-profit organisation founded in 1952, which continues to present Sarah Siddons Award annually in Chicago with the goal of promoting excellence in theatre. Previous winners have include Betty Davis, Lauren Bacall, Julie Andrews, and last year's winner, Andre de Shields. Sarah. In 2020, a memorial plaque was unveiled at the site of Sarah's first professional appearance in Worcester. And lastly, apart from her obvious theatrical poise and talent, Sarah Siddons was also famous for fainting at the site of the Elgin Marbles in London. This is Russ. This is Kyle. This is Michelle. From the Infectious Groove Podcast. Join us every Monday for the most fun you can have with a music podcast. The Infectious Groove Podcast uses a positive and fun approach as we take time every week to share our jammy jams, then dig into a thought-provoking topic discussing all decades and genres of music. You can find the Infectious Groove Podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can head to infectiousgroovepodcast.com to find us there and subscribe. We might have a controversial opinion here or there, but we always have fun with it. Oh, I'm sure I'll say something dumb. Subscribe to the Infectious Groove Podcast, part of the Odd Pods Media Network. Back in the day, facts. And let's start off with the 20th of August, 1619, when approximately 20 people became the first known African-Americans in English North America to land at Point Comfort, Fort Monroe, Virginia. They were then sold or traded into servitude. Also on the 20th of August, 1965, the Rolling Stones released their single, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. It was their first number one US hit, and it was also a hit in the UK. The 21st of August, 1673, saw King Louis XIV donate 600 books to found the library of l'Académie Française. Also on the 21st of August, but in 1743, the exchange Corn Street, which was built by John Wood the Elder, 
was opened in a rather lavish ceremony with a two-mile-long procession of civic dignitaries and 48 private carriages. This was accompanied by the roar of cannons as it proceeded through the centre of Bristol. The 22nd of August, 1485, saw the Battle of Bosworth Field. Henry Tudor's forces defeat English King Richard III during the last battle in the Wars of the Roses. Richard is killed, the last English monarch to die in battle. The 23rd of August, 1963, saw the Beatles releasing the single She Loves You in the UK. And then, five years later on the same date, Ringo temporarily quits the Beatles over a disagreement. On the 24th of August, 1981, Mark David Chapman is sentenced to 20 years to life for John Lennon's murder. One of the last things John Lennon must have seen was the overweight fan who had been pestering him for days. The last time he'd been clutching a pen, he was out for an autograph. But this time he was holding a gun, and within a few moments he had taken John Lennon's life. He fired three shots, striking Lennon in the front of the body. The former Beatle tried to run, but was cut down by two more bullets as his wife stood by screaming. The crime happened on the evening of the 8th of December, 1980, in the archway of the Dakota, his residence in New York City. Chapman, an American Beatles fan, was angered by Lennon's lavish lifestyle and his 1966 comment that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. He said he was inspired by the fictional character Holden Caulfield from J.D. Salinger's novel The Catcher in the Rye, a phony killer who despises hypocrisy. And lastly, on the 25th of August, 1875, Captain Matthew Webb makes the first observed and unassisted swim across the English Channel in 21 hours and 45 minutes. His journey started when, after covering himself with porpoise oil to fend off the cold, he dived off Admiralty Pier in Dover at 1pm on August the 24th, 1875 and swam towards Calais, trailed by a flotilla of three boats. Captain Webb was stung by jellyfish eight hours into his swim, but he carried on after receiving brandy from a supporter in one of the boats. It was said that at one stage he also paused for a cup of tea, served while he was treading water. And now, my friends, I fear that signals the end of the show today. And I hope you enjoyed it and found it as interesting as I did. I've heard of Sarah Siddons, but I didn't realise how much impact she'd had on the theatrical world. But the real artistic actors that we have to thank for this episode are Molly Jeffries, Joe Wilson, Sam Roberts from St Stephen's Drama Group in Bristol, as well as Steve Shepherd from our very own Bradley Stoke Radio. Thank you, one and all. Until next time, everyone, take care and look after each other. Thank you once again for listening to me, Alice, on the Backtracker History Show. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking up at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. I also occasionally post onto TikTok and Instagram. 
So do come along and find me because it's amazing to hear from you and get some feedback or even ideas for future shows. As a small independent podcaster, your help and support is always appreciated. And one way you can do that is to rate the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leaving a review also helps as it gives other people an idea of what the show's about. The show is regularly released on Mondays. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.